Elliot Goldstein is hosting a radio and podcast show out of New Mexico called NMDJ Presents Fly on the Wall. We are building a fresh, fabulous podcast library of musicians, writers, artists, and all good people of note, with many new and exciting guests to come. We are listener-funded. If you would like to assist our Venmo info is New Mexico DJ service. The PayPal info is New Mexico DJ service at gmail.com. We appreciate your help. We would like to thank Alan Gower for the intro music. Enjoyed the show. Hey guys, thank you for listening to Fly on the Wall podcast. I'd like to tell you how I got started. Um, I really had no idea on um, the beginnings of what had even where to start. And I stumbled upon Anchor by Spotify. And it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. And I'll explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. And um, when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast automatically on listening platforms. I'm on Spotify. I'm on Apple Podcasts. I'm on other uh, platforms. And it, Anchor made it so simple. And um, it's all in one place. Everything you need to make a podcast, you can find in one place. And um, the amazing part is it's all free. So um, there is no uh, downside to any of this. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's Anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R. And again, it's the Anchor app or go anchor.fm. And it's real easy to get started. And um, thank you for listening to Fly on the Wall and uh, back to the show. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. All right, we're at home with Claire, who is warming up for a bit of boxer size. Yep, she's welcomed in the new year with a fancy new workout setup. Look at that branded punch bag with matching gloves. And that gorgeous coordinated athleisure. So coordinated. She is working out and working it. Well, with prices this good on designer workout gear, how couldn't she? Whoa! She's back on the sofa. With her feet in an excellently priced foot spa. Iconic. Get those toes to Marshall's. Fabulous brands. Feel good prices. At Marshall's. Not Your Mother's Radio is listener-funded. If you wish to assist and help keep the station active, funds can be sent via PayPal to Elliot. Is. Not. Your. Mother. At. Gmail.com. Remember, there is only one L and one T in Elliot. Thank you for your assistance. It is appreciated. Morgan Fisher is an English keyboard player and composer, and is most known as a member of Mott the Hoople in the early 1970s. However, his career has covered a wide range of musical activities, and he is still active in the music industry. In recent years he has expanded into photography. Fisher has maintained a lifelong interest in photography and in recent years has been holding an increasing number of solo exhibitions of his work in Japan and abroad. He has evolved a technique of abstract photography which he calls light art, influenced by the photograms of Man Ray and others. 
not your mother's radio is pleased to have been able to spend some time with Morgan. So let's listen to one of Morgan's solo works and then we will join Morgan and Elliot. Enjoy and stay safe.
so I saw you play with Mott in the day. Are we on now? Yeah, well, are we yeah, like- yeah, yeah, this is it. We're just going to, uh, yeah, we'll just uh, talk a bit and just have some fun. Um, I saw, yeah, you, yeah I saw you. Um, uh, you played at the uh, um, on Broadway, right? You were on the you were in the Broadway band. In band, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that show. I saw the Radio City show that year or the year before that. Right. And um, you know, then I saw Mott when um, Vernon Allen was still there, actually, way way back when. And, yeah, I uh, saw them once. Yeah. I have to say, I wasn't a fan. <laughs> <laughs> they were more like the Rolling Stones back then, right? Yeah, I mean, they were good. A lot of people prefer the early mop. And I I love it now, but at the time, I was into progressive rock. Yes. And I had my own band who were like, yes. doing quite complicated stuff. But yes. by chance, I saw Mott play once, and I thought, well, you know, it's just a good rock band. Yeah. So when I joined, I wasn't a fan. I joined because yeah, yeah. the, the the main reason I joined them was because they were going to America, and I'd never been there. Okay. I thought this I want to do. You you never got to America with like the Third Air Band or anything like that. No, Third Air Band. I only did two shows with because oh. then Mock came along. So I thought this is, this is more interesting. Uh-huh. And yeah, and the, my first band, Love Affair, was strictly European success. You know. Yeah. 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 Okay, mm-hmm. so um, let's let's get started in the in, in in the good old days. How did um when did you realize that um piano you know keyboard playing was for you it was going to become your um you know your 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 profession your love your you know your whole existence? Well, um, you know, like many people, there was a piano in the family house, and I banged on it when I was a little boy, and I decided at ten, age ten to have lessons. Without being forced to, which is nice, because a lot of people were forced. <laughs> and uh, but then what really turned me around was after four years of lessons, I heard the Beatles on the radio. Um, not for the first time. I'd already heard the first two singles, Love, Love Me Do and Please, Please Me. Um, I was not that impressed, but when I heard She Loves You, blasting out of my radio at home, I thought, this is what I want to do. I want, I want to be a pop rock musician. So I was 14 then, just, just good timing. And I quit my lessons and just got totally into learning blues, jazz, rock, just by ear, by listening to records for hours every day. And then 16, I joined a soul band, and then I was off and running. Okay, and uh, you, you haven't stopped. I've had a few breaks. <laughs> okay. It was 1980. And um, what I like to say is I was fortunate enough to live through two golden ages, the 60s and the 70s. And, uh, yeah. and, the, and the last real peak for me was the punk rock era, which I loved. And um, up until then, it had just been just one wonderful new era after another, just so rich. Yes. But after punk rock, music became so corporate somehow and so synthesized and just didn't do it for me at all. And plus the political scene wasn't great in Britain at that time with Margaret Thatcher. Mm-hmm. So um, I just, I decided to head off and just leave. You know, I've been working 12 years nonstop. So right. time, it was time for a real break. Right. And, um, 
so you did, you went through, um, you, you had that band Morgan, which was a great band. Yeah, that was long before that. Yeah. 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 And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then, you know, obviously the Mott, the Mott thing. Um, uh, after Mott, British, British Lions, right? Yeah. Mott and British Lions. And that's when John came on board, right? That's right. John Fiddler. Yeah. And um, two albums with them. Were you involved with Box of Frogs too? 
Not at all. No, that came after British Lions. Yes, it did. And you weren't, yeah, you weren't involved in that. Okay. No, I was off doing my own thing after that. I was yeah, yeah, yeah. And I spoke, I actually spoke to Trey Gunn this morning. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, he did something with, uh, Fripp and you on the uh, miniature album. The second miniatures album. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, um, Okay, so well, let's get into that. We we kind of got the, the, the whole background there, and um, what I like to do is just kind of um, talk about your solo stuff. Because you, you, um, Hoople, you did one album with, right? Well, I did one studio album and one live album. Yeah, 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 and, and some that, singles. Yeah, and then you actually were there for the Mick Ronson phase too, right? I was, which was much too short. It was quite sad how it ended so abruptly. Right. Yeah, yeah. I actually saw, um, I think I saw Monta Hoople and the Hunter Ronson band uh, in the same year, actually, in New York. Oh, really? That's that's yeah. quite an achievement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, actually, <coughs> it, was, it was a pretty, when, uh, <coughs> when Ian Hunter left with Ronson, they had that band put together pretty quick, right? They did, and he already had plenty of songs, so they went and did an album, well, his first solo album, Yeah, pretty quickly, yeah. Yeah, yes, and, and um, I just I saw you guys on Broadway, and not long after that, I saw Hunter Ronson at the Felt Forum in New York. Yeah. There, was, there was a small theater behind uh, the garden. And, yeah, Mott did that one time with the dolls. Yes, I saw that show too. There you go. You've seen yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah, I did. I was a yeah, and um, that was a great year for music. Uh, Bowie was floating around New York a lot, and um, you know the dolls and and Mott, Mott the Hoople and Mott and um, yeah, it was it was a great time for music. Uh, Todd Rundgren had his thing going at the time, and it was just yeah. a great time to be in New York. Um, yeah. So um, you've worked with uh, the Third Air Band for a short time, uh, Mott, and then um, you kind of helped out Medicine Head when they reformed? Yes, I did. They were just doing their last tour of England, and I already knew them for some years, and I'm a big fan. Um, and John needed a keyboard player, so I thought, this is great. I don't have anything else to do. Right. And what a pleasure to play with him. So we did, a, I think, a two- or three-week tour of England. Uh-huh. And I played on a few album tracks, Okay, which is and, their last album, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. And did you hear John's new single? Did you hear his new... Um... Oh, sure. We keep in touch all the time. Yeah, it's a great fact, um, I love it. Yeah, it's called um, Warriors of Love. Yeah. And um, we made a single together also some months ago. Really? Called Forgive and Forget, which I think is on his website. Okay. We, we co-wrote that and okay. recorded it by email, you know? Yeah, cool. Um, how's the pandemic affecting you? Everybody's locked up, right? Yeah, they are. I mean, in Japan, the lock, the lock up or lockdown is not so stringent. And... Um, we have extremely low figures. We, we're still around 1,600 mortalities, which is pretty low because yeah. Japan is one-third of the size of America. So yeah. Yeah. so the rates are pretty damn low. But I'm being very careful. I am basically staying home. That's what I'm cause doing. Because, you know, I'm not as young as I used to be, and I, and I have slight chest problems. So I figured just play it safe, you know. Yeah. yeah. So basically I don't go anywhere except by bicycle. Uh-huh. I'm not taking any public transport. Uh-huh. And um, you've been in Japan for a long time now. Just half my life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, um, yeah, I think we lost more than 1,600 people today in America. Wow. 
Yeah, we started. Yeah, the uh, numbers started creeping back up again pretty quickly. I know we're at uh, like almost 220,000. I know. Yeah, crazy numbers. But, yeah. um, you know, the you know the president has it now. And, um, you know, maybe, you know, he'll wake up a bit, but we'll see. We'll see. He's not the... Um, He's not the sharpest tool in the toolkit. Yeah, don't get me on that subject. <laughs> I don't want to alienate some listeners, okay? Yeah. Well, but I think I think America needs a big change. Yeah. With any luck, we'll have it next month. You know, with any kind I know. Of yep. I wish I could vote. I really wish I could vote. But there you yeah, are. I voted today. I got my early vote out today. Good for you. Yeah, that's that's done. I actually, uh, first time I left the house in, in months, I... Um, Got my ballot in the mail, and yep. I just drove down there, put my mask on, and ran in and dropped it into in the box and came back home. Good so, for you. Yep. If anyone hasn't done it yet, go and do it now. Yeah, get it out there because uh, you know things have to change and have to change quick. Um, mm-hmm. So, Medicine Head from Medicine Head, um, we did the mock thing and um, it, it, it um, developed. Well, we did the British Lion thing from Medicine Head on. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Medicine Head came after Mott. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, Medicine Head was after Mott, but uh, I mean, oh, okay, no, no, no. Okay, so my thing is wrong. I thought actually Medicine Head was prior to Mott. Um, no, I think I played with Medicine Head in 76, which is by the time Mott had done our second album, yeah. and we were already thinking of splitting up, um, which is why I had time to go and do something else. Oh, okay. And then when we decided to carry on as British Lions, which is basically the same band, but we needed a different singer. Yeah, yeah. I thought, well, wait a minute, Medicine Head have just ended. Yeah. What about John? And everyone in the band said, oh, that's such a great idea. It was a great so, idea. So yeah. I asked him, and, you know, there was this one day where I was around John's house having dinner with him and trying to get a decision from him, and all the rest of the guys are waiting on their phone saying, what did he say? What did he say? Finally, I could call him and say, he says yes. And, that, and they were so happy. And it was, for me, um, you know, both bands, Mott and, Madison, and Mott and British Lions were really good players. But I think once we got John in, we also had really good songs. Right. Really and soulful. He's a great, songs. great writer, great writer. Yeah. Um, so um, your your solo career has been incredible. Um you're not afraid to take chances. You're not afraid to, to, to um, push the envelope. Um, you've done things from, you know, let's, the, 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 the two miniature sets where everything was under a minute to, um, you know, to, to that whole thing uh, with the hybrid kids. How the hybrid yeah. kids come about? That's that, that um, definitely, definitely interesting discs. Well, I was just, you know, I've been getting into home recording for a while. I had a four track recorder and I had other instruments than keyboard. I had bass and I had guitar, I had drum machines and I was just fooling around and mainly doing wacky stuff just for fun. Because you know I've always been into the more eccentric side of music too, like yeah. Mothers of Invention and the Residence and things yeah. like that. So I just started playing around doing that kind of thing at home. And then I, I met a company called Cherry Red Records who Still going there, the longest um, indies label in, in England. Yeah. And I told them what I was doing. They said, yeah, why don't you make an album? We'll put it up. And so I did. And um, 
the concept of hybrid kids was to take a song and give it a diametrically opposite arrangement, right. regardless of the genre. So, for example, I took MacArthur Park, yeah, which is a which is a huge symphonic ballad, and I did it as a two tone scar song. Yep. I took the beat. Um, I took the Sex Pistols, um, pretty vacant, and did it like a sort of Pinky and Perky cartoon song. Pinky and Perky was a, a, uh-huh. some um, puppet characters here. It's a bit like the Archies or that sort right. of thing, you know, right. with how we sped up voices. You know, so basically, and then I did like say, um, "You've lost that loving feeling" by the Righteous Brothers, as if it was done by suicide. Right. Right. You know, so it's like hilarious fun, but also 
um, creative, working with limited means for trying to wrench the weirdest sounds out of them I possibly could. Yeah, but like on MacArthur's Park, you get the little all the uh, nuances in the, the you know just the yeah. thing. Not only did it was not only was it a ska style, but you had like the little. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. You know, just just the little, um, you know, the music that's involved in Scar. Just 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 the little idiosyncrasies were in there too. You didn't leave anything out. It could have been a special song or a madness song. Actually, it sounded yeah. like madness. And oh, uh, I love to. I love the whole two tone thing because I was a Scar fan. You know, I was a mod when mods were new. So yeah. in six, 65, I was listening to your actual Scar. Uh-huh. So 15 years later, like, I knew this. Yeah, I know this uh, music. So. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but I like the new kind of harder edge that's been put on it by Two-Tone. Right. Yeah, so, you know. Label. And yeah, um, yeah. the old Stiff label was great, too. Absolutely. Yeah, and, uh, I spoke to Dave Robinson uh, last two weeks ago, I think it was. He, he's and, a great uh, teller of jokes. Yeah. Yeah, he uh, he's a character. <laughs> oh, yeah. A lot of fun. Every, everybody around that company was a character. Yeah, yeah. Um, Nick, Nick Lowe. <laughs> yeah, actually, I'm, I'm, I have Ian Gum coming on with um, uh, oh. um, with Bob Andrews from the Ruma next week. Right. Nice. We'll do, we'll do a roundtable. Um, I, I live in New Mexico now from New York originally, and Bob yeah. Bob moved to New Mexico. And, cool. Um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he's not – yes, I haven't met him in person yet. Because everybody's locked up, but um, yeah, we do something online. Um, okay, so then you've gone through just so many different kind of um, uh, uh, genre changes and things. What, what was your, um, if you could pick one that you really want, want people to, to um, if somebody was getting into Morgan Fisher now, what album would you tell them to pick, you know, pick up and uh, start studying? Well, I mean, it's it's hard to say because, I, I, you know, like they say, they're like my children. How do you pick your favourite child? Mm-hmm. Um, for example, <laughs> at the time I was doing this weird, wacky, wild, punky hybrid kids, I very soon also decided to make an ambient music album yeah. called Slow Music, right. which is a genre I loved. I love what Brian Eno had been doing and so yeah. on. And I decided to make an album like that. And um, it's just been reissued on vinyl. So it's still out there. And uh, a green vinyl, actually. And uh, it was actually made not by me playing keyboards, but I recorded a great saxophone player called Lowell Coxhill, 
who had played with Kevin Ayers, but also had done, yeah. he was like a hero in the sort of free jazz movement. And I got him into my apartment and recorded him. And then I basically spent two weeks looping and processing his recording into an ambient album. And I still have um, some pride about that particular project. And I never really did anything quite like it since then. I've done other, other ambient albums, but in the more normal way of playing keyboards. Whereas this one, mm-hmm. I spent two weeks cutting up tape, basically, mm-hmm. and making loops. You know, it was really hands-on. Yeah, like the old days. The old days were cutting and pasting was real. And uh, yeah, yeah. and I, I love how it turned out. So um, that's one I like to point people at. Okay, and you did the... That's when I got to Japan, yeah. Yeah, that's that's great. Great album. Thank you. Yeah, I was invited again by an indie label to make an album on a low budget. I didn't have a home studio at that point, uh-huh. but we found a nice studio, and all they could give me was three days to do a whole album. So I thought, well, I've always loved Sati, and I'm not a classical piano player, so I'm not even going to try and play the pieces perfectly because there's thousands of others who do it way better than me but I'll just kind of improvise on the main themes. So I picked up the main themes that I liked, about six of them, and just put the score on the piano and kind of glanced at it occasionally while I improvised. Uh Also also using some of the ambient techniques like tape delay, like fripatronics, you know, where you you Mm -hmm. it's basically early looping. I did some of that, and that's how I got the album done, all done in three days. Yeah, well, great. It's a great album. It's, a, it's a, just a great album just to kick back to. And, Thank you. Um,
Ivories was a great album. That was a little more traditional, right? Ivories was done in 72 when I still had my progressive rock band. Uh-huh. And it was recorded in Italy where we were signed to RCA Italy who because Italians love progressive rock. Yeah. And we got to deal with them. And I'm glad we did because it was the best studio in Europe at that time. Uh-huh. Most stu- most studios in 72 were still 8-track, but this was 16-track. So a lot more scope. Plus, uh, in this studio, um, many of the major Italian film scores by people like Nino Rota and Ennio Morricone were recorded. And for that purpose, they had a whole warehouse full of really interesting keyboards that I, some of them I'd only seen in like textbooks about mm-hmm. vintage gear. And so I pulled those in and did some stuff. So yeah, Ivory's um, came out a little bit later as a solo album. And it's still around, I think. I'm, I'm quite glad that nearly all of my work is still around. I don't mean secondhand, but still available, you know, new. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah um, and, and um, Cherry Red Records is kind of like Rhino Records. They kind of preserve the old legacy music that, um, you know, um, anyway. smart that they realize that repackaging albums is way cheaper than recording new albums yeah, yeah so yeah. if you do a good job on it and people still want to hear the music why not yeah that was rhino's thing too rhino records of course that was a great label too yeah i mean it's a, it's a good good way for a label to to survive through the decades you know yes whereas stiff didn't last long right? yeah did, did some great stuff for a few years and then that was it yeah that is true. <laughs> Um, there are different ways to be. Yeah. So how'd you pick Japan of all places to um, make your home? Oh, random. <laughs> Most. I was living in, in uh, Hollywood and it didn't suit me. Couldn't quite get the kind of work I wanted. And I thought it's time for a change. And having been all over America several times, I, I wasn't really interested in trying another American city. So I thought, I need something new, something different. And I literally looked at a big atlas and I opened the atlas and I looked all over the American page and I thought, I can't find anything there. What's on the next page? And I just literally turned the page and there was Japan. Okay. And a light went off in my head just saying, why not? This is like such a good idea. I've always been fascinated by this country, by the food and the the art and the culture and everything. And, uh, so we, I went with my English girlfriend and we arrived in nothing. We had like 500 bucks between us, not a word of Japanese, no house, no friends, no job. You know, we just got here yeah. 
And it was a great place to start from zero. I felt totally at home. It's odd. I've been to so many countries. When I landed here, I felt completely at home. Maybe I was a, a Zen monk in a previous life. Yeah, maybe. I don't know, but I felt good here. And um, people were so kind and so helpful. Yeah. This, this stupid foreigner who couldn't say anything more than kimono or sake. Um, yeah. And uh, just started building again. And um, how you the lang- you know the language now? You could. Uh... I hope so after all this time. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah I, but, you know, it's funny learning a new language at that t- stage in your life. Yes. I was 35. Um you know, I picked up a few books. I tried a couple of lessons and I just thought, you know, this way of learning, this book learning doesn't really suit me. And to be frank, it never really did. Uh-huh. I didn't learn music that way either. I mean, I had piano lessons for a couple of years. Sure. But after that, it was just the way I learned was immersing myself in music every day for hours. And just it's, it's almost like osmosis. It's like the lazy man's way to study, frankly. But, but that's how all children learn. Right. You know, you don't give a child a book saying, here, learn English. <laughs> they just listen all day, every day, and they get it yep. with all the complexities. Yep. So basically, that's how I picked up Japanese. And I love the sound of it anyway. Like right. if I'd been in, if I'd been in Germany, it may not have happened because I like a language that sounds nice. Right, right. And um, sound, yeah, you talk about kids learning and stuff. When my daughter was in uh, like kindergarten, um, yeah, she was having a hard time reading. You know, this mm. was you know thirty five years ago, whatever it was. So I, I went out on a border one of those TVs with the um, with the SAP, you know, the, the, the language thing on the bottom where you know the words. Oh yeah, and that's how she learned how to read, watching cartoons and reading the bottom of them. And, hey, great. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I always thought if I had to learn a language, that's how I would like have to do it at this point. Because I can't go through books anymore either. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's the wrong part of the brain. Yeah. And it's okay uh, when you're learning to, I don't know, learning to operate a computer or something. Yeah. Well, uh, um, yeah. Let's get to the miniaturism um, um, sets. Those those were uh, brilliant. They were, uh, they're a lot of fun. And um, what, what, how did that idea come about? And how did you get uh, And how did you, you get know, you, you you have like a hundred people, hundred different acts doing them. Well, again, it was a similar process. It was sort of accidental because after releasing a couple of hybrid kids albums, the Cherry Red Boss, who's a really nice guy, said to me, "You know, we want we want to continue releasing your stuff, but why don't you make your own label within Cherry Red to have an identity? We'll still do all the distribution for you, and we'll release anything you want." And I thought, well, this is great. I mean, I've never had a record company say, do anything you want. Sure. And um, so I decided on this label called Pipe Records, which, again, another accident. I, I used to smoke a pipe in those days. Yeah. And I sat down, seriously said to myself, right, in the next hour, I'm going to find the name for my label, which is always very difficult, like finding a child's name or a, yeah. a band name. And I sat down, lit my pipe up, to help me relax. And I looked at the pipe and I went, pipe records. That's go. it. Done. Because yeah. pipe is also a musical word. So I thought that'll do me. And it's also means communication, sending things sure. via pipe. Yeah. 
So there you are. Funny how, you know, you, I think I've got a bit of a knack. I don't know if you'd call it lateral thinking or whatever, but I've got a bit of a knack for picking up hints that life just gives you uh-huh. all, all the time. Eno talks about that. It's like the hints floating around in the air all the time. You just got to know how to pick them up. You've got to have an antenna. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, so Keith Richards said that's how he writes songs. They're just floating around. He just grabs them from the air. So Yeah, didn't he dream satisfaction? One mm-hmm. night and sang yeah. it into a tape recorder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he said, you know, even now, he said, that's, you know, just everything's floating around. You just have to learn how to hear it and see it out there and grab it. Um, and then and then you get the royalties. Can't be yeah. bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but with miniatures, what I did was, once they gave me this carte blanche, I, I sat down and started to write a list of people I would like to collaborate with because I just made three albums all alone, which is great. But now I thought, now I want to work with some of the interesting people who are active in London these days. And I started the list and it got longer and longer and longer until there was about 50 people on there. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, how can I choose? And I just don't know what to do. And then the lateral thinking kicked in and, and, it's almost like this voice in my head said, well, don't pick one, have them all. Right. So I then my next question to myself was, well, how do you get all of these people on an album? I mean, I can't, I can't get them all in one room at the same time. And if I did, it would be chaos. Yeah. Uh, and the voice answered, no, 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 no. You get them all on each doing a track of their own. And it has to be one minute long so you can get all 50 onto one LP. Yeah. Wow. And, I th- and th- there was the idea. And I thought, great. And then in the beginning, I, of course, I overthought it. I thought, okay, well, how about I ask them to miniaturize an existing piece of music, like take a symphony and do it in one minute, right? something like that. Yeah. And uh, that was my initial invitation. But after a while, I felt, you know, don't limit it. Just say, do whatever you want for a minute. So let's briefly summarize what we know, shall we? The 50s, <laughs> the 60s, the 70s, and finally, the 80s. Thank you, and good night. One, a two, a one, two, three, come on.
interesting contributions, which I did. And it's amazing. Uh, it's amazing the talent that that um, that, that worked with you. I mean, guys from um, John Ot- Otway to um, you know Pete Seeger. You know, you, you ran you ran, you ran the gamut on that one. Well, Pete Seeger didn't actually join this project. Yeah. He'd already made an album, which is a bit of an inspiration. Uh-huh. In in the late fifties, he made an album called The Goofing Off Suite. Yeah which was a similar concept in that he took major works and played them on the banjo. Okay. And one in particular I liked was Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, you know, the whole, um, that, that famous melody. Uh-huh. Um, and he played it on the banjo. So I called up Folkways Records in New York, the uh, legendary Moses Ash, yeah, yeah. who ran that label, and he answered the phone himself, and I told him about the project, and he said, well, you got any money? I said, well, not much. She said, well, how about 100 bucks? I said, yeah, I can manage that. So I bought the right to that track just mm-hmm. for my own use for 100 bucks. And I thought, you know what? This guy knows how to do business fast. No mm-hmm. wonder Folkways has 2,000 albums on the catalog. Wow. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but yeah, it came together like that. So Pete Seeger was actually one of the inspirations and therefore I thought he needs to be the closing track on the album. Cool. Such yeah. an uplifting song anyway. Yeah. I mean, um, um, you know, you know, low Cox Hill, who you spoke about earlier, Kev- Kevin coins on it. Um, um, well, you know, who's on it, but, um, you know, so Andy Partridge, I mean, it's amazing that these people, um, actually did, you know, listen and did, did their thing under a minute. And it's it's really really an entertaining album. So I think people like the I think people like the project, you know, because yeah. it's an interesting brief to be yeah, given, yeah. even though there was not a penny not a penny exchange because I had no budget. Right. But people like the project, and eventually it snowballed. So after I'd got like ten good people on board, I would mention that in the next invitation, and people would say, "Oh, he's on there. Okay, I'll join in too." Yeah. So it was a snowball effect. And so very came together very easily. But a lot of work. I mean, it was writing yeah. letters, no email in those days. Yeah, yeah. Writing letters, putting them in an envelope, buying a stamp. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's how I'm suckering people. I mean, getting people on my show. <laughs> there you go. Same way, the snow, <laughs> snowball effect. Um, right. Yeah, so you, um, you, you definitely got your music down. And, and um, who are you listening to these days? Um... I've just got an album by Man. Well, yeah. The Welsh band. You remember them? Sure. Yeah, with Dick Leonard on guitar. Yeah, is that a new one? Is that a no, new- it's old. It's very old. It's called Maximum Darkness. And actually, um, I was in, I was encouraged to buy it because Dick Leonard uh-huh. is probably the funniest writer about rock music in the world. He wrote at least three books about his band. Uh-huh. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. 
Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired their personal trainer as a caterer. All right, folks, let's keep this line moving. You there with the tongs. Picking up one Duchess potato at a time will not cut it at my catering table. Drop and give me 50. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Okay, this is what we call the wild mushroom and asparagus dip, dip, and press. Come on, let's get those plates above your heads. For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. And they're just drop-dead hilarious. I mean, every page makes you laugh out loud. I I really recommend his books. And, uh, of course, I like the band's music as well, but the reason someone told me I should buy this album is because the the sleeve notes he wrote on it are hilarious, just like his books. The problem was, was I bought the album on vinyl. And there's there's no sleeve notes on there. Obviously, the sleeve notes were written for the CD reissue. Oh, really? So I've got to get that now as well. But still, I've got the album, and vinyl sounds better anyway. Yeah. um, So um, you did that last tour with uh, Mott, with Mott the Hoople. Yeah. Which um, I I had friends who saw it at the Beacon Theater. And um, uh, they said it was amazing that you guys just pulled all the stops out. And I'm sorry that... um, I would have liked to try try to get to see it on the West Coast, but you know, never you weren't able to do it. Um, any chance of putting that back together again if things settle in? Well, I think there might be. I'm not going to promise anything, but the, one reason why we had to cancel the West Coast tour last year was that Ian developed tinnitus, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and it was quite serious, um, yeah. and so he just couldn't perform anymore, and. We've actually spoken recently. We had a Zoom chat a couple of months ago, and he said it's not it's not cured yet, but it's certainly more manageable than it was. Okay. I'm not sure what he's doing about that. He said there's actually some certain special earphones that help to mask the noise of tinnitus. Oh, really? And basically, he's saying you know it's frustrating because other than that, he's extremely healthy. Yeah. Uh, he he still does a five mile walk every day that he's done for decades. Yeah. which is why he's in such amazing shape for 81. Yeah. And um, he wants to work again, basically, he says. So that's very encouraging to me. Yeah, that'd be great. I would love to see, I'd love to see Mark the Hoople again. And, um, yeah, well, I think the tour, the tour got us our best reviews of our entire career. Yeah. Last year's tour. I mean, the Variety magazine review was incredible. Yeah. It's like like something like at last rock and roll has been properly resurrected. Yeah. Thought, well, th- thank you very much. Because for us, it was like falling off a log. It was just yeah, let's just slip back into the old songs. Yeah. And let's see if we can beef them up a bit more now, which we could, because there was eight of us on stage, whereas there used to be only five. Right. So the songs actually sounded better than they used to, I reckon. Cool. Do you remember who opened the show at, on Broadway? On Broadway, oh, a little band called Queen. Yeah, a little band called Queen. That was the first New York tour, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, they did the first first UK tour and first US tour opening for us. Yeah. Yeah, it was quite a show. It really was. still remember how that music used to make me smile and 
we knew if we got a chance that we could make the people dance and maybe they'd be happy for a while but February made us shiver with every paper we delivered bad news on the doorstep I couldn't face one more step I can't remember if I cried when they told me about his widow bride but something touched me here inside the day the music died or did it ladies and gentlemen Okay, so let's leave the music world a little, and um, you're you're actually a photographer. 
Well, as well, yeah. I mean, I'm not a photographer in the normal sense of I do great portraits or anything. No. But I never, I never was into it that way. I mean, I've been playing with cameras since I was a little boy. But I always got into, early on, I always got into things like nature, you know, flowers, butterflies, uh-huh. things like that, just pure colour. So in, in a way, I was always kind of um, leaning towards abstract art, which I've always liked. So now my favourite kind of photography I call light painting or light art. And it's basically um, opening the shutter and moving the camera around mm-hmm. so that whatever you see in front of you becomes like, like a paintbrush. Right. And I make an abstract art using a camera, yeah, which is do. a lot easier and cleaner than using paint. <laughs> and you also... Um... You also have a lot of shows, right? You've done a lot of, uh, you know, showings. I've done some, yeah, mostly in Japan. I did one in uh, California, Carmel, and one in England. But, um, yeah, I like to do shows. Obviously, that's the best way to share photography. But I also like to, because these things being kind of colorful and abstract, I like to project them when I perform. Uh Especially because my solo concerts often have the same kind of improvising feel about them. Right. So they get together very well. And I, I really look forward to doing more of them once things get safe again. Yeah. And where I'm sitting right now in my home studio, this is actually a, it used to be a piano school, this this room. And so I can get an audience of up to about 40 people in here. Oh, wow. So before Corona, I was doing monthly concerts here. And people really liked it, I think, to be in the intimate surroundings of someone's home studio and uh, watch them play. So uh, I want to get back into that as soon as I possibly can. So is that the 100 concert, the 100 month concert? Yes, I, I, a friend, an English friend of mine opened a club here called Super Deluxe. Uh-huh. And he's an architect and a very modern go-ahead architect. And he wanted to make a modern go-ahead club where, where cutting-edge bands could do their thing. So he opened this club, and it was a nice, big, spacious club, which most are not in Japan, being right. such a crowded city. A lot of clubs are like little black holes in the ground, whereas his was a big open space. Mm-hmm. And I thought, i really like to play here. And I, did. I played there once, and I loved it. And I said, could I do a monthly show here? And he said, yes, of course. And I just kept going and going and going. And eventually, I did it for 10 years. Wow and um, decided when you came to the 100th show that I would I would end the series there on a good number. And then later I restarted doing it here in my home studio. Wow. And so then, and I, ca- I called that show Morgan's Organ. Yeah, yeah. Is, it, <laughs> is anybody else using your studio? Are you uh, recording anybody? I mean, not now, obviously. But, not um, really. I mean, it's not really set up for that. It's a very personal studio. I've had the occasional singer come by and make a demo or something, uh-huh. but uh, it's really set up for my own use. Okay, cool. And, um, you know, again, your stuff is uh, great. Um, so what what's your next release going to be? Are you working on stuff now since you're locked up? Well, what's I, what I'm doing, and probably many musicians doing things like this, I've been going through my archives of... Yeah various demos, outtakes, unreleased material. And I and I remember that about 20 years ago, I suddenly had a, a splurge of songwriting and I wrote an album's worth of material and recorded it, 
with me singing. And these are proper songs, rock songs. And I, I played everything on the album. And um, I never managed to get someone interested enough to release it at that point. And I'm beginning to feel that it deserves to see the light of day. So I'm now talking to a new Indies label about that. And they're interested. So yeah. I won't give you any titles yet because I haven't got the album title yet. But um, look forward, hopefully, in the next few months to some of that coming out. Maybe not an album right away, just one song at a time. Uh-huh kind of in a new internet way of doing that. We're not so new now, but yeah, yeah. We've, we've been talking about doing it like that, put one song out at a time, and then later put the whole album out. So that's looking like it's on the cards. Um, you know, I think I've got to get one thing off the desk at a time. So once that goes out, I'll think if I want to do another new project. But the other thing is those 100 Morgan's Organ concerts have all been recorded wow. properly. So I want to get those out now, which is a lot of material, but why not? Because it's just sitting there. And I'm thinking Bandcamp would probably be the ideal vehicle for that. Yeah, yep. And put it out there, real real low price, and people can pay a bit more if they want. So you, you can pick up a whole album for four or five bucks uh-huh. or more if you like. And, um, and I like it because it's um, – I don't hear a lot of people doing it. You know, pure improvisation on – Interesting vintage analog keyboards. Yeah. Um, you know, I used to take, I have quite a collection. So I'd take, I'd pick three or four and take them to the club every month, a different set of keyboards and challenge myself to see what I could do with them. Um, looping was a big part of it. And so I like that material. I think it has a freshness to it and I'd like it to be available. Anyway. Well, that sounds pretty cool. I I have a uh, I do a Sunday night and a Monday night show uh, that's predominantly new music and everything. I would love to be able to um, play some of your stuff if if when you're ready, it'll be great. Absolutely, it won't be long. But I mean, if you want to hear part of it now, I have a SoundCloud page. Cool, I'll get over there. Just look look for my name there, and there's several examples of it on there. Cool. And the Inside Sati album is also on there in its entirety, folks. Yeah, I have I have that album. That's not the entire album. Yeah, well, thank you. Well, that's another one that's had a recent vinyl reissue. Uh-huh. So I'm slowly picking up those old albums. Or no, people are asking me to, you know, no, well, have them re- have them reissue it. And I always work with them on the album cover and sleeve notes. I'll, I'll run through some of my favorites. I love. I'll give you my heart. That that, that was on the Cherry Red single thing. It was a single. I'm just trying to think if I remember that. I'll give you my heart. I'll give you my heart. I can't that remember was, that. That was um, that was that was a, that was you solo. It's, it's under Morgan. Oh wait, you know what? I'm, I'm an idiot. The name of the song is um, Geneve. Oh, that one. That's a John Otway song. Yeah, yeah. The name of the album is "I'll Give You My Heart." It's a Cherry Red single compilation album. Oh yeah, right. Gotcha. And you yes, also- that was. You also did, you did Roll Away the Stone on that too. I did it as a pseudo 78 RPM. That's right. Vintage, vintage orchestral recording. Yep, yep, yep. And, um, <laughs> and Sleeper, which is uh, about From a Sleepaway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Um, I love Ivories. I love Inside Satie. And, um, you know, the Hybrid Kids. Claws is a great album. 
And, uh, I love that album. I'm proud of that. It's um, yeah. I call it let's I call it let's put the X back into Christmas. <laughs> yeah, X Xmas. Yeah, and um, and and I really like the uh, Nova Solis album, which was the first Morgan Band album, and the yes. singer. Tim, the singer, came from a band called Smile, who turned uh-huh. into Queen. Yes, yeah, Smile became Queen. So I knew Queen before they were Queen. Yep, yep. And um, you just got to, you have to keep pumping this music out. Uh, I mean, uh, it's just some incredible, incredible pieces here. Um, um, you're, you're a great keyboard player, and um, I, I'd love to see some of your art one day. Maybe we could do this again, and uh, you could have some art ready too. Well, I have an art website as well, you know. Yes, yes, I know. I've checked out. It's uh, yeah, it's Morgan Fisher Art, all one word. Okay, and if anybody uh, want, and if anybody wants to purchase your music now, what what's the best place to do that? Purchase my music. Well, <laughs> I don't have my own label or Bandcamp set up yet. That's coming, but uh, you know, basically Amazon, Amazon, other okay, places like that. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and and some of your stuff can be streamed. Not not everything, but there is a lot of stuff on um, Spotify. Yeah, well, I know Cherry Red have put everything that they released up there. Yep. You don't have and any. They, I'm sorry, but do you have a compilation? Um, any compilation boxes or anything? No, I don't. Um, we did talk about that, and uh, finally, me and Cherry Red, for example just decided, well, let's at least reissue the albums, uh-huh. make sure they're available as new albums. So uh-huh. like the two Hybrid Kids album and the Miniatures album, two Miniatures album, were reissued on CD this year. Mm-hmm. So they're still available. Um, Slow Music came out as a vinyl album. So all the music from that brief and very creative two-year period in England is now available. Cool. I'd like to make a box set, but, you know, it costs money. And yeah. we decided let's just stick to simple reissues. And another very interesting album of yours was um, Echoes <laughs> of Lenin. Yeah, that was done in 1990, 10 years after his death. Yeah. Um, as a kind of celebration. I watched the movie Imagine, which had just came out then. And I was very touched by it. And I thought I should do an album covering his songs. And at that point, I was into kind of ambient keyboard style. So I just thought, well, let's pick. He he wrote great love songs. Let's pick the 10 best or or 12 best of those and cover them. And then I thought, while while we were finishing up the album, I thought, yeah, it'd be nice to get Yoko on here somehow. And they said, oh, yeah, our our company president is a friend of hers. Uh This was a Japanese quite big label. And... uh, so he called her up. She said, yeah, sure, I'll be in Tokyo next month. Let's do it. So she recorded the lyrics of the song Love. Uh-huh. And um, it was a really nice experience, which I just posted about on Facebook as it happened. Wow. Anyway, um, she was great, very accommodating. I recorded her in a hotel room, which is much more intimate than a studio. Yes. And she read the lyrics of love and told us stories about John. Yeah. So, so she's on the album. Yeah. Today's his birthday. A lot of big celebrations going on today. And she must be feeling quite sad, I should think. Yes. Well, her son's birthday is today, too. That's right. Oh, well, that helps. Yeah. Cheer. yeah. So that's yeah. it. Yeah. I, I, in fact, uh, Gem Records put out a celebration album today. Um, you know, just, you know, reworkings of his songs. That's pretty interesting. 
Oh, um, I'll look it know. up. Oh, and you spoke to my buddy, Tom Guerra. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I mean, I spoke to Tom, but you've, you've worked with him. I've played on three of his albums, I think, yes. now. All of the hmm. above, Trampling Out the Vintage and American Garden. There you go. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's a good man. He's a great guy, isn't he? That's mm. why that that was my uh, box of frogs uh, reference because he actually did a lot of writing for um, the Yardbirds when they were supposed to go back out again. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's why I thought you might have been involved in that because I know John was, and um, you know John did a lot of work with Tom too. Um, yeah, yeah, Tom's a great player, isn't he? Oh yeah, he's yeah. very solid. Yeah. He's very very all round. I mean, player, songwriter, singer. Arranger, you know, he does the whole thing. Yeah, and uh, he collects vintage um, guitars. He's a vintage collector as well. Well, it's what we do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he told me, um, I spoke to him just the other night, he has a 1963 Strat, uh, Strat that belonged to Howling Wolf. Jesus, that must be worth millions. Yeah, he... Um, How did he get that? He bought the guitar and it had a little decal of a cat on it. Oh. Yeah. He traced it back with that decal to the person. He went to the person he bought it from and said, do you know anything about the cat? And the guy said, well, I bought it from this guy. And um, he followed the, uh, uh, you know, he just kept backing it, backing and backing it. Finally, he met this older guy who said, yeah, I bought this guitar from Howling Wolf. And then wow. he started doing research on Wolf and he saw um, Wolf playing that guitar. He has photos of that guitar with Wolf. Okay, so it's time for a Howling Wolf covers album. Yeah, I would be there like a shot. <laughs> I know. I mean, when I when I heard Smokestack Lightning for the first time, uh-huh. I was shaken to the core. <laughs> I know. I know that voice. What What, what do you think? Um, I, I I ask everybody this question when I get a little friendlier with them. Um, Muddy Waters or Howling Wolf? Oh boy. Well, I have to say probably Howling, because like he said, he really shakes you deeply. I mean, Muddy is very cool and very sexy, yeah. but Howling is like deep, deep, deep. Yeah, the wolf, <laughs> is, the wolf was the man, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's... How about keyboard players? Who were who, who, who your, uh, you know, who were who some of your go-to guys? Well, it's funny. I was just saying that to someone today, um, I was listening to John Lennon's um, Isolation. Uh-huh. And the piano on that is incredible. Yeah. The, first of all, the chords are very unusual. And then that slow pace that he plays at is so expressive. I mean, he, he had very limited technique. Right. But what he did with it was extraordinary. Yeah. And and that you know really impressed me. I'd forgotten how good he was at simple but effective piano playing. Yeah, that was his. You, uh, that was his quote. Yeah. He said, he, "He said, hey, I'm I'm a musician. Give me a tuba and I'll and I'll get something out of it." You know. There you go. Well, that's true. And I mean, to me, that's really what music's all about, rather than playing a million notes a second. Yeah. You know. But I mean, uh, who else? Booker T. Uh huh. Who was again simple but incredibly melodic. Uh, Billy Preston, him too. I mean, he really could make an organ sing. Yeah. Billy Preston, who I met, actually. He came to England to play with the Beatles for the first time in 69, I think. Well, no, it would be earlier than that, wouldn't it? Yeah. But he played with the Beatles. and um, On the roof, the rooftop. 
Yeah, and I and I I met him in a bar. Him and George were in a bar. And I didn't even recognize him at first. Yeah. And uh, so I got to meet Billy, and I just said that song of yours, Billy's Bag, changed my life. You know, I just thought you yeah. can do that with a Hammond organ. Yeah. Let me try. So I tried. I couldn't do it. Not like he did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and um, and then uh, let's say Doctor John. There's another brilliant. Yeah. All all feel. All feel, all juicy, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And how about the long hair, Professor Longhair? Well, yeah, but he's he's more he's fitting into a genre. He he created one genre and stayed in that, and that's cool. Yeah, yeah. He was a pioneer, but then Dr. John took it further out. I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. I I love long hair. I think um, I think Elvis Presley owns a, owes a lot to him. Not not the piano, ah. but the, the voice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of hooked Elvis up to to long here just through that whole voice thing. He, um, you know, that that like like baritone type thing. This the smoothness of it. He was pretty. Well, when you when you mentioned Presley, you know, it takes me back to you know just just until just before I joined Montreal. Uh, like a lot of British people, we had a lot of pride. <laughs> so, and I think. Um, Justifiably, because we had the Beatles, the Stones, the Who, the Kinks, etc., etc., Pink Floyd, you know, just on and on and on, all these great bands. And, um, you know, even Jimi Hendrix came to London to make his yeah. fortune with two English guys. And um, we, we, we liked, well, I'll talk personally, but I think a lot of people felt this way. We liked some American music, but for us, some of it was a bit like a caricature. So Elvis was this guy in a movie. You know, who yep. we saw him in movies. And then the Beach Boys were like cute guys with white striped shirts on, doing surf music. Although, of course, Good Vibrations was like unbelievable. But there was a, there were less US bands that really turned us on because there was such a richness of our homegrown style. Oh, yeah. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. But you had guys, well, like, you had you had Eric Clapton, you had Peter Green, you had Gary Moore, uh, you had some killers. I know, but mm-hmm. but, but when, the thing is, when I got to America finally with Mont the Hoople in '73, mm-hmm. I realized that American music is is that way for a certain reason because America is that way, and mm-hmm. it is a very different country to England. Yeah. Just we just happen to speak the same language almost. And uh, just seeing streets full of Cadillacs with fins and, and diners, and, you know, and hot dog stands, yep. 
I just I loved it, the whole thing. I just thought, what a great country this is. It's so colourful and alive. Then I started to understand why the music came out like that, yeah. that it's not like a joke, because it almost felt like... Because now England came out of the war battle-torn, you know, mm-hmm. it was ruined and it was grey and grimy and, yep. you know, rough, and we had to rebuild from that. And that's what gave bands like The Who this their really raw, angry sound. Yeah which we weren't getting from America. But when I got there, I realized why, because America had not been through that tragedy. They'd been in the war, but America as a country was not physically attacked apart from Pearl Harbor. So, you know, I love the vitality of the American society. Yes. And And then started to realize, you know, this is why people, amazing people like Little Richard appeared. That could never happen in England. Yeah. So, you know, I really started to learn to love American music. And then, of course, just about that time, all kinds of the great new stuff started happening, like the New York Dolls and Talking Heads and sure. Joe Walsh and Barnstorm and just some Todd Rundgren, just great bands. I'll, I'll tell you a great Mott the Hoople story. This was before you were there. Yeah. This was, this was the old Mott. You know the band Shanana? Oh, we played with them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you, sure. played, you played with them. We we gigged with them. I think we did a couple of TV shows with them, and I got to know a couple of them, especially the guy with the bass voice. Yeah, but you you didn't play the Fillmore with them, did you? I don't think so, no. No, I can't no, remember no, where we no, played. It was years and years before you were in the band. I think Vernon, okay. I think Vernon was still in the band. Anyway, okay. um, Sean Anar opened for Mott. Uh. And um, Mott was, um, you know, they were packing up, you know, they were, getting into the dressing rooms and they see all these guys who look like, uh, you know, gangsters look like, you know, something out of a West side story. And uh-huh. um, they thought it was real. They were afraid to walk by them. <laughs> and uh, I understand that um, Ian Hunter and Mick Ralphs had to be escorted to the stage because they were afraid they were going to get cut by the guys in Shadana. That's funny. Anyway, um, I know the guy who did the, um, um, the pig light show, you know, the psychedelic, uh, light lighting and yeah. um, he grabbed the guys and he said hey what's wrong and and they said well there's there's a like a gang down there that's you know and they said nah that's sean on they're the nicest guys in the world and by the end uh-huh. of the night they were sitting there and like you know just like you know swigging down beers together and everything he's joking around but at first amont was afraid to walk by them they thought they were they were a real gang from uh, the streets of new york uh, that's funny. Yeah, I never had that impression. I mean, they look really cool with all the hair greased back, you know, yeah, um, and all and the clothes and everything. But um, I got to know some of them quite well in a short time. Particularly the guy, I'm sorry I've forgotten his name, but the guy who had the bass voice, you know, oh, boom, yeah, yeah, boom, yeah. boom, 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 skinny guy. Yeah, um, Bowser. Bowser, that's it. Bowser, yeah. Well, he, he turned out to be off stage when he didn't have any grease in his hair. He turned out to be kind of almost an academic guy, like a young yes. professor or something. Very yeah. intelligent, very intelligent, very smart. I saw Sean and I used to run a club in New York called My Father's Place. Uh-huh. Um, and, um, you know, so I used, they used to come to a lot. But I actually saw Sean open up for John Lennon. Lennon did a show at Madison Square Garden. And the opening oh. acts were Sean uh Stevie Wonder, and Roberta Flack. Yeah, what a lineup. Yeah, it was a benefit show, and uh, I think that was Lennon's last uh, really big live, um, um, you know, mm. concert thing. And yeah, famous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
Boy, yeah, he's the only Beatle I never saw, unfortunately, and he's my favorite. Yeah, no, I, I, I saw him twice. I saw him uh, jam with the Mothers of Invention one night. <laughs> wow. And um, Frank didn't like it at all, I think. Uh, no, him and Frank didn't get along, I understand. <laughs> yeah, um, right. I, I actually know a lot of the mothers. Uh, I, I've interviewed <laughs> a lot of them, and um, I've worked with a lot of them over the years. And yeah, right. they didn't get along too well. But I, I saw George Harrison twice at Bangladesh, mm-hmm. and I saw him at the uh, um, concert when he toured in other states as a solo act. And, you know, Ringo is still playing, and I saw McCartney a handful of times. But, right. Would you, how did you see Harrison? Like I said, I ran into him in a bar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I but, never saw him play. Oh, you never saw him play. Okay. I never saw any of them play. Oh, okay. okay. I saw I saw Ringo in the Apple office when I was there for a meeting. Yeah. I saw Paul at a Beach Boys concert in the audience, and yeah. then I I ran into George in a bar called the Speakeasy oh. in London, which was like the yeah. after-hours bar for rock musicians. Yeah, you want to hear? I got a great Speakeasy story. Remember the tur- remember the turtles? Oh yeah. Okay, the turtles f- they fly to um, they fly to England and they're picked up by Graham Nash. Mm. Graham Nash takes them back to his home, and um, he has the um, an acetate of uh, Sergeant Pepper. It was coming out that week, mm. and they, they you know the guys are sitting around smoking you know weed and just you know listening to the album. And he said, let's go to this club. I know this great club. And he takes him to the speakeasy. Oh. And, the, and the Beatles are there. And um, wow. McCartney's laying under a table with a camera, uh, taking pictures of girls' underwear. Cool. And, uh, and Lennon, you know, Lennon's being Lennon. And the turtles sit down and Lennon rips apart the turtles' lead guitar player. He says, you call yourself a, a musician. You know, this, the stuff you do is terrible. Anyway, the guy got so freaked out that he quit the band that night and flew back to the States. Oh, poor guy. Wait, wait, it gets better. It gets better. Uh, Brian Jones walk. Oh, the Moody Blues walk in. And, uh, you know, Justin Hayward walks in and he's talking to the Turtles. And he says to them, um, yeah, we just did an album with the symphony orchestra. And um, uh, Mark Volman, uh, the heavyset guy with the curly hair that was in the turtle, says, yeah, yeah l- let me know how that works out, okay? <laughs> anyway, it turned out to be, you know, Nights in White Satin, you know, Days of Future Past. <laughs> it gets better. Brian Jones walks in with Jimi Hendrix. And Hendrix was just about getting ready to come back to the States to do Monterey. And, um, and so he calls over um, Howard Kalin. And he says to him, can you sit down with me? I just want to talk to you a little. So he says, yeah, sure, no problem. So they grab a table and they're sitting there. Um, and Jimmy's asking him what it's like to be a rock star and how do they think you should break into the American market. And they're talking. And while they're talking, they're eating breakfast. It's, you know, it's middle of the night, early morning. And um, Jimmy orders a bottle of um, um, cognac. And they're drinking cognac and eating eggs and everything. And... Um, they're all done, and, and um, Howard stands up to leave, and Jimmy gets up to leave, and they hug each other. And as they hug each other, Howard Kalen pukes all over him. <laughs> and Jimmy starts yelling at him, this is my best velvet suit. What are you doing to me? It was like, <laughs> yeah, so that was um, yeah. that was their night at the speakeasy. 
Yeah, well, Howard and Mark were pretty wild and crazy guys, right? Yeah, they were. And they ended up as mothers, too. Yes, yes, I worked with uh, Flo and Eddie for a while. Flo and Eddie, yeah, which are fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I must have gone to the speakeasy for about a whole decade. And um, I think almost the last time I went would have been about 78. And, of course, punk was happening by then. Right. And I'd already seen the pistols down there and people. And uh, I came into the bar and Sid Vicious was holding court there. Well, I wouldn't say holding court. What he was doing, he was standing by the bar. He'd pick a girl, he'd scream at her, grab, grab her by the collar and say, buy me a drink. <laughs> actually buy me an effing drink at the top of, top of his voice. Yeah. And she would quake in horror and run to the bar and buy him a drink. And I watched this for a while. Sid was just playing the part, Sid Vicious, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and uh, everyone was egging him on, you know. So I said hello to him and uh, said my name and whatever. And he said, well, what instrument do you play then? And I said, piano. And he said, well, that's not very bloody violent, is it? <laughs> and, I, and I said, you haven't heard me play, son. There you go. Well, <laughs> yeah, he, um, you, you know, Joe Wobble, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, he, he uh, Sid gave him his name. Yes, I believe he, I heard he, that. He couldn't, yeah. he couldn't pronounce his name, you know, I think his name was what, John Wardle or something? Yeah, and, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he seems like nearly everybody around was called John. I think yeah. Sid Vicious was actually John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A yeah. lot of Johns around at that point. <laughs> yeah, um, so I'm speaking to some guys that you may know, actually. Uh, David Jackson from Vandegraaff. Haven't met the, the Vandegraaffs, unfortunately. I've seen them. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll be speaking yeah. to them next week. Great band. And, yeah, they were a great band. And um, Oh, there's another great keyboard player, yeah. Yeah, and, and I spoke to John Altman last week. John Altman, yeah, he goes back. We go back to when I was doing sessions with Neil Innes uh-huh. from bon- from the Bonzos and Ruffles. Uh-huh. Yeah. And Neil Innes had a TV show called The Innes Book of Records, uh-huh. as opposed to Guinness. Yeah. And he, it was quite a show, and it ran for, for several months. And he had to come up with six or seven new songs every week wow. for that show. And each song was a different genre. And it had a video to go with it. God knows how they put it all together so fast. But I was called upon by him every week to go and play on some of these songs. And and John was usually there doing the arrangements, especially the brass brass and strings. Yeah. Yeah, John is a, well, what what a talent he is. Oh, he's so prolific. Amazing. And uh, Dennis, I spoke to Dennis McKay, the um, uh, producer. Uh, Who did he produce? Uh, he uh, he did Ronson's albums. Uh, he's American, is he? Oh uh, no, he's British. He's living here now, though. He's British. Oh, sorry, he, I don't know that. Eh? Yeah, he did. Um, Dennis McKay. He did. Um, uh, um, he worked for Queen. He worked uh, tons and tons of just about everybody. And, okay. Uh, yeah, his. Um, you know, he did the Ronson thing. He did uh, some Bowie work, uh, Iggy Pop, just about everybody. Oh, and, right. Yeah, he did um, the engineering for uh, Lou Reed, Transformer. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, I, think all, I think he did all the young dudes. Well, I wasn't with them then, so... Yeah, I yeah, 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 I know. Wouldn't I think, know that. I think he actually did all the young dudes. Oh, well, I guess we just missed each other by a hair. Yeah, by a hair. So, um, <laughs> how did the two Mont- Montehoople bands 
obviously they weren't, you know, the same band other than the, the core members when you went out mm-hmm. again the last time. But was it easier the second time out? No, not really. <laughs> I mean, the, the first time you guys looked like you were having a lot of fun. You mean with Ian Hunter? You talk, are you talking about? Yeah, the, you know the, the the you know the uh, after. Yeah, the the seventy two band. As, Wait a minute. Are you are you trying to compare Mott with Ian and Mott without Ian? No, Mott with saying? Ian. Mott with Ian Part One and Mott with Ian Part Two. Oh, I see. Well, of course, I wasn't with Mott Part no, One. No, 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 no. I'm talking about when you guys went out just you know a year or two ago. As a oh, I see. Seventy two. Oh, I see. So Mott in the seventies and Mott in the in the twenties. Yeah. Really. Oh well. Um, well, of course. Being in your being nearly seventy years old and being in your early twenties, there's a bit of a difference there, yeah. um, especially capacity for drinking, which, yeah, yeah, yeah. which I still like a drink, but not nothing like I used to. Um, but you know, it was a remarkably similar. I mean, I really put it down to muscle memory that the songs are embedded in my fingers yeah. permanently, and I just had to point my hands at the keyboard and off they went, and they knew what to do. That was almost Blue, did Blue Weaver tour with you guys the first time out? Yes, he did. Yeah. He joined us for the Broadway yeah. tour. Yeah. And I knew him from way back before then because I, I was in Love Affair and he was in Amen Corner. Uh-huh. And we were we were rivals in the late sixties. But um, you know, playing last year with, with um Mop seventy four as we called it. Uh, was was just a delight. I mean, it was like falling off a log. Yeah, it just happened. It happened so naturally. We just fit it into place. And the guys, the members of the ramp band who were playing with us, were incredible because they they weren't around in the early mod days, so they had to actually do work and, and learn songs. You know, yeah, <laughs> whereas right. I, I just knew them all. Right. But um, it was a great combination, and uh, and just um, it was really the performance was what it was all about. Right. Whereas in the old days, the performance was, of course, important. But then there were the parties. Yeah. Parties and then the shopping and going to thrift stores to buy old guitars and things. And that was like a whole day of like wild stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas now it's like you do the gig and then man, just have something to eat and go back to your hotel. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, and you guys sounded great. Yeah, I saw, you know, I saw some, uh, you, you know, stuff on, online. Uh, yeah, Luther sounded great. You sounded great. That band was great. Um, and yeah, we had a great drummer, Steve Holly from Wings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Excellent. I think, and, and the rant band, I think, behind you just kind of gave you a little extra muscle. Well, if I had any any doubt about doing this, was was that Mott the Hoople's original bass player and drummer had passed on. Yes. And for me, they still remain the best rhythm section I ever played with. And I thought, well, how's it going to be, you know? But very quickly, as soon as I got in the rehearsal studio with these guys, I thought, oh, we're in good hands here. Yeah. And they were so powerful, so solid, and, and simple as well, you know? Yeah, yeah. And and, uh, uh, and and you guys put on a great show. I mean, uh, you know, from what I saw, is there going to be anything coming out, an album or anything? Well, there's nothing recorded yet. I mean, I think one of the shows oh, might no, have been probably... The live set, you know, from the old live set. Well, I mean, one of the shows was properly recorded, I believe, yeah. um, and even videoed, but uh, there's been no talk of a release yet. Yeah. So I think um, 
I don't know. You know, if there's a demand for it, maybe. Oh, I'm just more interested in getting back out on the road with them again because um, it's uh, such a shame that we missed the West Coast. A lot of people are disappointed by that. And also, my dream is to have them come play in Japan, which is now my home. Right. And uh, there's a million Mott the Hoople fans here. Yeah. And, and also to do Australia and New Zealand, who are wow. you know, really up for it as well. Well, you really have plans. Well, I mean, I have dreams. <laughs> Let's yeah. put it that way. But, yeah. you know, I think we have professional help to try and put those things together. So yeah. it's all about um, when this hellish pandemic gets out of here and lets us go back to living again. Right, right. And um, I know you had like maybe a handful of dates on the West Coast. Do you think, yeah. I know, uh, um, you know, this is just, you know, just, just uh, the thoughts. Would you be yeah. adding any, any more dates to, to it if you would do anything? Would, or, or it's, all a question of, it's all a question of demand. And um, seeing as how the, the, the East Coast tour went so well, I mean, it's pretty much sold out everywhere. Yeah. And there's just, like I said, there's a, there's a whole slew of excellent reviews. But, um, that bodes well for, a, for another tour, you know. Yeah. If, if we show the promoters what we pulled off last year, we may get even more offers. But that's what it's down to in the end. Uh-huh. Is if the promoters think they can fill the halls, then we'll do more. But oh. we're up for it. So we're certainly the, up for it. So wasn't the band's idea to cut the? I mean, you know, to to have just a handful of tours. You were just waiting for more dates to be added. Well, I think it was a realistic um, way to get back into the water, as it were. Uh-huh. Okay. The, you know, to to do like a modest number of gigs first, and then see how it went. Right. You know, and um, and you know, we're not we're not up for doing three month tours like we used to. No, no. You can do that in your twenties. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. uh, but um, but I know we're we're all up for doing whatever we're invited to do. I'm sure. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I, oh, I, used yeah. To, I used to run stadiums and arenas and stuff. So, um, you know, I was, I was at a lot too, you know, and, um, it does get to you after a while. I, I had to leave that world. I, I have, you know, some chest problems as well. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I know it's, it gets tough as you, as you kind of get a little older, you have to slow. And down. also, you know, I mean, the, the really big gigs are not so much fun at all because comparing what I did with Mott and then when I toured with Queen, I, you know, the Queen gigs weren't so much fun. The audience is so far away. Right. You can't even see the front row. And uh, it, so to us, you know, Mott the Hoople, when we were touring, was the ideal size from yeah. about two to 5,000 people. Yeah. The, like beacon, the perfect. The beacon. Beacon, beacon perfect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The beacon is perfect for that band. That's not even 2,000. I think it's like 1,600 or something. Yeah, it's a beautiful um, Beautiful. But gigs like that, I mean, the front row, some of the people in the front row have actually got their elbows on the stage, you know, right. which you're that close. You right. can go shake their hand and uh, wink at the girls, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. To me, that's a proper gig. and There's enough people in the place to raise the roof and yeah. make a noise. Yeah. But when it gets to you've got a 50-yard gap between you and the front row, that ain't no fun. Yeah, I think one of the best shows I ever saw was the Radio City show that you yeah. did. It, uh-huh. that's, that's the one the Dolls opened, right? 
I don't know if they did that one. Probably because they did most of our New York gigs. Yeah, I think they opened. They definitely they did the Felt Forum. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, you might right. be right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't do Radio City. It was the Felt Forum, I think. But I, okay. I don't remember Radio City started at midnight. Well, what I do remember is we did a rehearsal, and they had this. The front section of the stage could be lowered into the orchestra pit. Yes. So we thought, well, that's a good way to start the show. Me and the drummer will come on and make some noise. Right. And then the three front guys will rise up out yeah. of the ground uh-huh. and start playing. And we did a rehearsal and it was perfect. And the guy, the stage manager said, don't worry, boys. There won't be any mistake. We'll get it right and it'll be fine. So great. So then we go and have supper. We come back and I get on stage and the drummer gets on stage and we start to make a noise and nothing happens. <laughs> and we keep making a noise for one minute, two minutes, three minutes, and the guys don't arrive. <laughs> like the longest three minutes of my life. That's like a spinal tap. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Finally, they appeared, but uh, yeah. so much for the so much for the stage manager. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. What's With he all doing? his pride. Yeah, what's he doing today? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. Sleeping on the job. So those were, yeah, those are great shows. I remember those shows. Um, well, I, do- I documented some of that tour, you know, with my little eight millimeter movie camera. Uh-huh. I was shooting the band, not on stage, but off stage. Yeah, yeah. And I made a DVD out of it. Yeah, well, which is quite a fun watch. It's called Mop in America. Yeah, and um, those are crazy days. A lot of partying going on. A lot of craziness. Yeah, we, t- we we were teaching other bands how to party. I mean, the parties were always in our hotel room. Uh-huh. And bands like Queen or Aerosmith would come and party in our rooms. Yeah, there you go. So and, so their rooms didn't get smashed up. Yeah, <laughs> I get, yeah, and you guys were main man artists too then, right? Main man had the... Uh... Uh, only briefly when Ronson was with us, I think. Oh, no, maybe early on when they yeah. did Dudes. But only very briefly. Because I actually saw Bowie at, at, the, at Radio City... At midnight as well. I think that was the main man thing that all okay. their acts started at midnight for some reason. Huh. Yeah, I don't know why. but um, Well, it's, it's because you have subways that run all night. You couldn't do that here or yeah. London. Yeah, I know. I know. You, you, you couldn't do that in a lot of places in America too. Right. So yeah. it's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, those are good old days. So I told you we'd be on for over an hour. We're almost at 90 minutes. There we are, yeah. Well, so Time we, flies, and we've hardly scratched the surface. Yeah, I know. Are we going to do this? Are we doing this again, or do we have to do another an hour and a half now? Let's do it later. Okay. Sure. Okay, we'll set up another date, and um, and, yeah. and definitely with John as well. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll get John on too. So, um, yeah, we just have to figure out the logistics. He's in England, and you're in Japan, and I'm here. So. Um, one of us is going to have to get up in the middle of the night. I'll do and it. And it ain't going to be me. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll do it for you two guys. What a trooper. Yeah, I'll do it for you. It's definitely worth it. And I want to, oh, thank, you. I want to thank you. I'll send you a copy of all this. And I'm okay. going to edit some music into the mix and everything else. And, um, man, I had a great time with you tonight, Morgan. That's right. You're very welcome this morning. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And um, so anyway, I'll be in touch in a couple of days and I'll talk to John and uh, we'll make it happen. Well, pleasure talking to you, Elliot. Okay, my friend, stay safe, okay? You too, rock on. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.
This is the end of this episode of Not Your Mother's Radio. Morgan and Elliot will be getting together real soon to continue the conversations. Enjoy and stay safe. Not Your Mother's Radio is listener funded. If you wish to assist and help keep the station active, funds can be sent via PayPal to Elliot. Is. Not. Your. Mother. At. Gmail.com. Remember, there is only one L and one T in Elliot. Thank you for your assistance. It is appreciated. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Now extended through January 14th, join a clean and spacious Planet Fitness for zero enrollment and only $10 a month. With tons of equipment and free fitness training, it's the perfect place for everybody to work out. Even me, mister, I'm so stressed I grind my teeth more than most people grind coffee. Especially you. Give your anxiety-clenched jaw a rest. My molars will be so happy. Start feeling spectacular today. Join in-club or at planetfitness.com. Zero enrollment, $10 a month, cancel anytime. Deal ends January 14th, see club for details. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Fly on the Wall. There are more great interviews to follow so please list us as one of your favorites and be sure to follow. We are listener funded. If you would like to assist our Venmo info is New Mexico DJ service. The PayPal info is New Mexico DJ service at gmail.com. Please remember to share our info. Thanking you all.